Hello and welcome to the Thursday Night Post Game Show. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. It was deja vu all over again as Georgia State fell by an identical 42-14 score for the second week in a row, this time at the hands of the Appalachian State Mountaineers. We'll discuss it because we have to, and we'll also have a palate cleanser at the end talking about Georgia State hoops win up in Kalamazoo against Western Michigan. First, let's uh, let's just go through this football game. Like I said, 42-14 to 14 loss, much like last week against James Madison. It was a slow back-and-forth start, but after another piercing red zone fumble by the Panthers, App State took possession and control with a 61-yard Nate Noel touchdown run with 1 minute 27 seconds left in the first quarter. From there, it was all Mountaineers and only a pair of fourth-quarter touchdowns after the result was well beyond doubt, got Georgia State on the scoreboard on the afternoon. That's three straight defeats for the Panthers, who sit at 6-4 and four on the season, ahead of Saturday's trip to number 15 LSU. Gentlemen, thoughts on that App State game? I feel like the best place to start is thanking our listeners, everyone who tunes in every pod. Um, a tough loss, another tough loss. Uh, we did not feel the need to go into too much agonizing detail there. We will dig in on the particulars of the game a little bit, but very brief summary kind of says it all about that game. It felt a lot like the last loss, uh, which piled on with the other loss against Georgia Southern means in the last three games they've played, Georgia State has been outscored 128 to 55. And they're all good teams. Like, it's not like you've gotten blown out by someone that it's like, how did you lose to them by that much? Like you get it. And this app state team clearly is clicking at the right time, but this was the year where Georgia state was supposed to be the team doing that. And so what now what, and all of that. And it, it feels like it's been a major regression and, and I'll be the first to admit that I have not been sounding the alarm on this. I think there've been people as far back as even the Louisiana game definitely the Georgia Southern game, definitely last week in James Madison that have been saying like, this is trending a weird way. I don't like it. And my only contention has been, you just got to let it play it out because college football, especially but college sports in general are the most unpredictable sport. And you can see teams take the unimaginable losses and win the next week against a team they quote unquote shouldn't beat or this one, George State was actually favored. So there, this wasn't a, they shouldn't beat them um, situation, but obviously it's a, a continuing of a worrying trend to where a lot of the goodwill has been sapped and it's still a bowl eligible team. They still have a chance to, with a win in either of the last two games, probably <laughs> the road trip to Norfolk, more likely facing Old Dominion. They can be the team that sets the regular season record for wins. But I get that things aren't going to feel great about it. Yeah, um, the vibes certainly aren't great. Um, I mean, it's it's been a lot of non-competitive football lately. Um, you know, it's a little bit of back and forth and, you know, kind of doing something and then a big lot of regression. Um, and it's, it, you know, I, I like in, I, I don't, I hate to do this only because it's not really fair. Um, 
but it's kind of just how it feels. You can compare the fandoms, not necessarily the teams and the situations. Um, you know, I don't want, like Georgia State is kind of like Penn State in a way. Every year, um, boy, would they I, love to be like Penn State? <laughs> yes, I was about to say. There's a couple of ways that I could probably go with this. You know, every year. Penn State, when they have a really good, you know, beginning of their schedule or good out of conference, you know, they find themselves in the, you know, creeping up to October, creeping up into November. And it's like, okay, you had a good run, you know, you're undefeated, one loss or whatever. And now it's time for you to get your measuring stick with Michigan, Ohio State. Obviously, this year, Georgia State had their best start ever. You know, they were six and one at one point. Um, You know, obviously, the one was Troy. and, you know, we could we'll have a conversation about that, you know, another time. But realistically speaking, Georgia State has continued to show that at some point they are going to line up against the App State Mountaineers and they're going to play a football game. And this, you know, it's not even about a, uh, you know, an 0 and 10 thing. It's not about the streak, whatever. It's, you know, sometimes that happens in college football, but. You know, even when App State seems to be reeling, even when Georgia State seems to be a team capable of, you know, actually being able to give them a punch, there's then just 60 minutes of football that is uncompetitive. Um, and and I think the, I guess the, the thing, you know, the thing I'll say is the disappointing part about, you know, kind of where the season has ended is because there was so much promise. You know, and I mean, it's not even like, oh, they scraped by some of their out of conference teams that were, in, you know, inferior. I think Georgia State legitimately played well, even when, you know, the Troy game, I think they played Troy pretty well. And the the reason Troy kind of got away from Georgia State was because of the timeliness with Georgia State's turnovers. Um, like that game could have been a lot closer and still been it still felt like a like the how start it was of that trend. <clears throat> the start of that turnovers in the red zone trend that uh, has not gone away. It hasn't, you know, and I think the the alarming part is when Georgia State plays a team that we, you know, that people kind of deem uh, inferior to them. That trend is there. They play really clean football. You know, Darren looks good. The running is good. It's there. And then when they play a team that, you know, they really have to say, okay, this is a team you're going to have to kind of upset or, you know, James Madison is good. Georgia Southern right now is playing well. App State has kind of gotten their mojo back. It's like everything falls apart. And it's really, I don't even, I don't even say concerning because I don't think it's going to be interesting to see how this season ends. Um, because like you said, they could, you know, go on the road against ODU, get a win, go play a bowl game against the, you know, somewhat decent team and you'll look at it and they'll be eight and five. It'll be the exact same record that they had in 2021. And, you know, they'll tie the school record for wins. And, you know, you'll remember the four and oh, and the, you know, six and one and and stuff like that. But it's like, I don't know. it, It feels like such a missed opportunity in a way. Um, and that's you know that that's that's certainly got a sting for the Panthers. I mean, the players and the coaches themselves. Yeah, I mean, I get the point about who they've played recently, and that it, you know, I can get the perception of like, oh, they played this stretch of good teams and can't play 
But like Coastal is aging as a great win on the road by 13. And it wasn't really that close. They pretty controlled that game throughout. Uh, Memphis just took Charlotte to overtime, had to come back from a 10 point deficit to not lose to Charlotte, who is playing for bowl eligibility, you know, to not get eliminated from bowl eligibility. Um, But their 44 they scored in overtime is only three points more than Georgia State scored. Panthers scored the most in regulation against Charlotte. So, yeah, and, and Marshall's the other one. Like, Marshall looks like they might be back. They beat Georgia Southern last week. Uh, they are back to where if they win another game, they're getting to a bowl game, be another bowl team. And it'd be the case where you know, in 2021, like, legitimately, I believe there were one or two teams that Georgia State beat in that stretch of games where they beat a bowl team. This year, that's that number's going to be, I think, three to four to five, depending on how a few things shake out. And so I think that in their stretch of games when they're playing well, they did beat some good teams and they beat some teams that are going to be playing in December alongside the Panthers. So I really don't see it as that type of like palpable monkey on their back against this good teams. I think if they had those red zone turnover and just bad execution issues in those games, they would have lost those games also. They just didn't have those. And a lot of it was, you know, self-inflicted. And that's kind of the case with this one against App State. You know, it was a pretty unsexy drive. It was 20 plays. And I feel like the yards per play was probably almost exactly what you would need to move the chains every time. Like they were barely scraping by. I think there was a penalty. Yeah, they got the offside, um, which gave them their first first down on the third and one on that drive. They were definitely not moving it at a a very large clip, but they got into the red zone that way. They even overcame a 15-yard personal foul uh, penalty and got back into the red zone a second time. But then inside the five, just a little, you know, it was on the exchange kind of. It was Darren trying to do a handoff or running like an option. And the App State player got the helmet on the ball and it popped out, but it still was a ball carriage thing for me. And it's like, okay, guy's going to go try and get the ball. But especially especially with the issues there have been, you just got to cover up. You got to play another down and come what may. And I don't know that the game goes drastically differently if they uh, get a touchdown there, or even to hold on and get a field goal. But it certainly wouldn't have had the deflating effect that that fumble coupled with four plays later, Noel's touchdown had where, you know, I, I think fans live and die of moments like that. Understandable people there, people watching would have been really affected by that sequence. Be like, just damn, like that sucks. It felt like the players did that a little bit too. And that's the issue. And it kind of snowballed from there. Uh, they never really showed some life again. Defense gave up a couple more, plays uh chunk plays and very quickly it was 21 nothing and you know all in all all things considered it's a weird thing to say when you look at the numbers i don't think the defense played awful but they gave up four explosive plays per the metrics on game on paper.com three of those were 50 plus yard plays and those three plays were all touchdowns i think the other one was a 26 yard run late in the game that the next play was a 20 yard touchdown run so all four of those plays drastically affected the game. And, you know, with the offense being where it was, it just, it left, those mistakes were just so costly. And 
App State came into this game averaging 34 points a game. So I don't think that it was an ex- expectation or a realistic expectation that you were going to like hold them to 10 points and that the defense was going to be able to do it all themselves. I felt like the defense at least gave them a chance, especially on a down-to-down basis. And just, again, what we've seen going back to the second quarter against Georgia Southern, basically entirely the James Madison game, the offense just couldn't get out of its own way. And that was the story of the game for me, again. Um, worrying that it's the third straight game that you can point to it as kind of a factor, a deciding factor in the result. I mean, yeah. You know, I... <clears throat> I'm not even sure. Um, I'm not sure really what they take away from this game, you know? And I think the concerning part is you could say the same thing about like in the Georgia Southern game. Yes. By the, you know, the score standards, they came back in that game, but it was a blowout. You know, I think there were some things that they did on the ground that was really good in the second half. Like you mentioned that week um, and afterwards, just the last couple of weeks have just been a big lot of nothing that you can take away. And, you know, I kind of echo your sentiment on, you know, the defense last week, they had to be on the field for a ton of time against James Madison this week. You know, obviously the big plays were Georgia there. State won the time of possession, hanging the banner. <laughs> Apparently you weren't specific enough to say with a monkey paw wish to say Georgia State just needs to possess the ball. And then the defense is going to be in a better spot. Uh, Obviously, it took more than that because Georgia State was ineffective with the 32 minutes of possession they had in this game. And some of that was in crunch time, or not crunch time, in garbage time when the result was pretty over. That's true. Um, you know, and it's just, it's it's really sad. I mean, I think, I still think the offense, you know, there's a lot of potential in the offense. We've talked about it all year. I mean, you know the personnel. It does, it's not worth rehashing specifically, but it's not like we're talking about an offense that uh, has been a bad offense. I mean, they've certainly dipped in the points per game category. They've certainly, you know, they haven't had their best form of late, but, you know, still top five in the Sunbelt and rushing yards per game, still capable of moving the ball, still capable of, you know, putting things together. It's just the last couple of weeks. You know, and, and I think that that to me is the more concerning part about the game anyways. You know, I think that the way that Southern Miss was able to kind of put app on their heels the week before was they were just really able to run the ball super effectively. And, you know, Georgia State had 139 rushing yards like that's, you know, on the, and if you're looking at a box score, that doesn't look bad. But at the same that's time, great. Though, let's see the yards per carry. Ex- exactly. <laughs> The Christian Bale American Psycho meme. Exactly. You know, Marcus Carroll had 34 attempts to get to 113 yards. That's three yards per carry. You know, if this was the NFL, I'd say, yeah, three yards per carry is, you know, probably what you want to be because, you know, that's just how the modern NFL is. But for a team like Georgia State, who's been running the ball so effectively, that's that's not at all where they want to be on the ground. And, you know, the the passing game just, it has not, I I am truthfully shocked at where the passing game has kind of landed, because while I don't think that Darren Granger was ever going to be, you know, literal best in Sun Belt and, you know, having a 4,000 yard season or whatever, I think he was on the pace to have a really good season, at least. 
I mean, it's been three weeks since he's had over 200 yards passing. And he's only had over 200 yards passing in three games this year. And I get it. Georgia State is a team that likes to run the ball. I'm not, you know, I'm not ignorant to that fact. But you look at these passing totals and then you also look at the score and how badly Georgia State's been blown out. I mean, it's that is truthfully where the disconnect is, because unless you're putting up another 300 yards on the ground to go along with these passing numbers, you can clearly see that they've been just struggling to move the football effectively. Well, it's part and parcel of what happened in this game, because they had a little bit more of that success. Like I said, 20 play drive weren't moving it a ton, but they were winning up front. And that's something Coach Elliott said after the game. Like he felt like at the line of scrimmage early on, they were having some success. But after a while, you could kind of tell that the app defense was clued into what was coming. Started to just take away the run, key in on Darren as a runner, didn't let any option stuff hurt them, started committing guys to the box. And, you know, Darren just hasn't been I, I don't believe it is because of the injury, and I've been pretty straightforward about that um, anytime I've talked about it. Like, I don't, he's looked physically healthy, and it doesn't, like, a guy who's going on 60 yard touchdown runs, I don't feel like concussion has been an issue. I think he has been medically cleared. But since that Louisiana game, and from the second half on, it just has felt like he's maybe a little bit tentative late on some throws. So I don't know what exactly is up with that, but I think the most uh, unfortunate thing is that if you had just watched the two Appalachian state games, the last two years, and that was your only picture of Darren Granger, the quarterback, you'd see a pretty bad quarterback who hadn't made any improvements from year to year. And I feel like Darren made major strides as a passer, especially earlier in the year. And we've seen that regress and it's, I I don't know why it has happened. Um, The other part about the offense, uh, Chris Bird starting tight end feels like maybe there's a bit of a drop off there because he has been out. And I think that they're maybe missing him a little bit in some of that. Um, Maybe the, the type of, you don't know what you're missing until a guy isn't able to be out there for you. Cause I felt like Amon green was a pretty solid replacement. um, But Maybe the ability of not having both of them is affecting that. And Jakaias Cradle has also been out. And obviously, he is a good possession receiver. He's another guy that Darren has had a rapport with. But past that, the thing about the offense is it has not been because, oh, you lost these major contributors, and that's why. Like That would never be something you're happy with. You'd like to have the next man up mentality. But if you were down your top three pass catchers, you could understand the passing game taking a hit, but they've been pretty lucky with injuries this year, especially on the offensive side. And things are falling apart anyway. And so like you couldn't ask for much better injury luck. It's not been the issue, but the offense has been getting worse all the same. And it's a really, really just perplexing situation because we saw earlier in the year them kind of find that balance with, yes, they were going to try and establish the run early and often, but they had an ability to hit you intermediate and hit you deep in the passing game. And there were some hints here or there of going to that in this game. They took some deep shots that didn't land, but the intermediate stuff wasn't really there all day in attempts or execution. It just felt like 
whether that was Darren looking away from that part of his game or whether the play calls were going another way or whatever it was, they weren't able to do anything to get the middle of the field open. And so you had those guys in the box ready for the run. And so the run game kind of ground to a halt. And I guess the most emblematic thing to illustrate that is Georgia State did not have a 10-plus yard passing play until the fourth quarter. I mean, you're not going to win many games or score many points if you are not hitting even first down distance on passing plays for three quarters of the game. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I am... Look, I, I I tried not to do the bit this year because at this point it it's not even worth doing anymore. Um, and you know, I, I guess my final thought is just something about this series. Um, in looking at these ten games, ten is kind of just it's just a clean round number. In looking at these ten games with Georgia State versus App State, they have eclipsed twenty points once. As they scored 27 points um, in 2019, the I believe that was the week after Dan Torres ACL. Yes. Um, and they, you know, I remember they scored game. 56 in that one, so the 27 didn't do you a whole lot of good. Exactly. You know, Georgia State obviously came out really strong. Um, there was that Chris Bacon pick six, I believe, um, pretty early in that first quarter. Yeah, they went up 21. Um, 21-7 early in the first quarter, and then App got a touchdown late in the court in the period. And then from there on, it really was just a bunch of App dominance. Um, App has scored in the 40s at least six times. They, they've scored 40-plus in this series six times. Um, in those other in two of those other four games, they have scored in the high 30s. It was 37 points in 2015. Um, and then Georgia State held them to 31 points in 2017, Coach Elliott's first year. Um, I mean, Georgia State is routinely scoring 17, 16-ish points against App State. And, you know, to my Penn State point, there's always going to be a ceiling until there isn't. Um, and this is just something that Georgia State's just going to have to live with for another year. And, you know, I, I think, I don't think on the surface, these two teams are marketedly far apart. I really don't. Um, I think Georgia State has shown they can play well. You know, I think the wheels have kind of come off in the 2023 season a bit. Um, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit more about that on, you know, during our midweek pod, but, you know, I think the goals might not be where Georgia state wanted them to be, but to get to the position where there were even those goals you know, should, uh, should be talked about and celebrated. But, um, yeah, I mean, things are tough right now when you kind of have something like this going on with your program and, you know, it doesn't seem like you're capable of being, you know, against the measuring sticks of the Sun Belt. So. I have a couple more more notes type stuff. One, I guess, is a mea culpa uh, because I did spend a lot of time last week when we were talking about the defense versus App State's offense, talking about the difference between big plays that you give up or chunk plays in the passing game where it's the pass rush's fault rather than the coverage's fault. And it was kind of like, well, you've got to be able to get home and affect the quarterback because you can't ask guys to cover that long. Uh, while Georgia State did not have a sack in this game, these big plays were all coverage issues. 
Um, just guys running free on the off the line on the first two touchdowns through the air made it 14 nothing and 21 nothing. And then on the first play of the uh, third quarter, a play I was watching on a monitor because peering back behind uh, behind the scenes, we were doing a uh, post game interview with Jonas Hayes after the West Michigan game right then as the second half was beginning to start, just how it lined up with getting him available after the win. Saw that happen on the screen behind me and was able to get a second look at it later. And it was just Dalton Stroman caught it over the middle, had a lot of space. Gavin Pringle dove to try and get him down, didn't get him down. And then he was off to the races. And so while I had said a lot of, you know, making this about pass first got to be more effective. There were just some real spotty plays by the secondary in this one that cost them. And, uh, that is the unfortunate thing, but got to leave something you said earlier. I don't know what the takeaway is, and this isn't really a takeaway, but it at least is a, a positive note. We can, we could leave on that. Cade Loggins had a hell of a day. You never want it to be that you are just praising the punter as like, that is the thing you're singling out. Cause obviously that says a lot about how the game wins, but on the day, Mr. Loggins, Punted nine times. There's your first sign of disaster. We got an average of 47.4 on the punts. 59 was the long. He had another over 50, and three of his punts ended up inside the 20. Um, been a weird couple of weeks before that for him and just the punting game in general. And so got to shout out the special teams when they do something, the specialists when they do something well. Um, even in a defeat, uh, I guess in a defeat, that is the only thing you can really take away is like, you made progress on that. Uh, see how that keeps progressing in the specialist game going forward. And now let's talk about the good part of this postgame pod. Men's basketball headed up to Kalamazoo to face Western Michigan and handled the Broncos 77 to 70, earning Jonas Hayes his first career road win at the helm of the Panthers and putting Georgia State at one and one on the young season. This game was the first half of the Max Sunbelt Challenge for Georgia State. They'll play host to a team to be determined later in the regular season. So real quick, let's hit the highlights of the stat sheet before Brady and David dive into the particulars. Lucas Taylor with 27 points, going 9 for 14 from the floor and playing the most minutes of anyone in blue and white at 33. Dewan Odom coming off the bench with 12 points and 5 rebounds. Jaden Turner with 5 points, but strong everywhere else. 7 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, and a block in his 31 minutes. Starting 5 for this one was, once again, all newcomers with the veterans coming in off the bench and all contributing meaningful play. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this Western Michigan game? So, the monkeys off coach Jonas Hayes is back. Uh, We can stop talking about that thing. Uh, the road streak thing. Also of note, uh, Georgia State was part of the good group of Sunbelt teams who won in this challenge, but unfortunately it was the losing side because the MAC went 7-5 and five in this first round of games on the men's side. And so uh, Sunbelt's going to have to fight back in the home series on, in February. Although I, I guess I have to say, Five of seven in the road games isn't like a terrible outcome. And there are some good teams in the Mac. So I guess it's not all that bad considering that all of these games are on the road. But just worth saying, Georgia State did their job. Uh, Some other teams didn't. And we can leave that part there. Uh, Western Michigan did not actually have their leading scorer from their opener against North Dakota State with the tremendous name B. Artis White. Uh, He had 20 points in that game, did not score. And so. Certainly a note on this game, uh, not to be ignored, but 
I think that we just saw more of what we saw offensively, just that it is a totally different group. And in saying that, they weren't great from the floor from three in this game. They shot 45% as a team, and they only shot 31% on their threes. But they scored 77, and they left a lot of those missed shots were like bunnies at the rim that should have gone in. And if they even miss half of the really makeable shots that they had, they're dropping 90 in that game. And it maybe isn't even a little bit of a, you know, how's this game going to end situation. But 77 still got the job done. Um, They led the whole way. And there were a few times in both halves where Western Michigan did cut the lead down a bit, but it never got squirrely. Every time they needed to get an answer and punch back, Panthers did so, ended up getting the seven-point win. Um, not a lot you can say. You know, there's, there's trend lines to look at are maybe a little bit concerning. But on the whole, I just, again, feel like we are not watching the same team we did last year. And that is a great, great compliment to the shift that they've been able to undertake in an offseason in two games. It absolutely is. You know, I'll start with, you know, just kind of what I saw um, offensively for them. I mean, this is a team who's shooting the ball with confidence. You know, it might not be that it's going in. It might not be that it looks pretty, but there's a movement on offense. Um, I, you know, I won't say that there's a lot of communication, but it, it feels like, you know, at some point they are going to start really gelling with how each other's play is and how they kind of fit and have those kind of concretely defined roles. And that's where you're going to see the communication. It's going to flow even more, you know, and I think it's funny. It's funny to say that because I was not expecting this Lucas Taylor game. I don't know if you were expecting this Lucas Taylor game, but this felt like it came out of nowhere. I mean, I was a little bit when he led the team in shots against Belmont. I do think that we can squarely say like he is the primary scorer on this team. You know, him and Dewan were kind of sharing responsibilities, taking it up the floor and you had other guys mixed in there, which is another point of all this, that there's just so many combos of guys that you can have either taking the ball out, running the offense, or you can have little two man games on the side. But the thing about Lucas Taylor is that he has already scored more points for Georgia state than he did for wake forest in two seasons. The other thing is we didn't talk enough about just his overall offensive game. I think we thought of him because of the stats that he was able to put up at Wake as a shooter. And he had put up good numbers there, and he was four of eight in this game from three. So certainly that is a big part of it. He's got just an insanely quick release on that shot. You cannot give him an inch of space where he's going to pull it, and he he probably is going to make it. But the inside game and his ability off the dribble has been really impressive to see. And in this game, I think he was enough selective more so than he had been against Belmont. And so you saw him go from 5 of 20 against Belmont to 9 of 14 in this game. I think there's a difference there between the 14 shot attempts and the 20. I think he took out a few of the maybe forced shots, the driving into where they're one or two defenders contesting, maybe forcing a shot that he shouldn't. I think he took a lot more of that out of his game, and you saw his efficiency go up as a result. And on those plays where he didn't take the shot, move the ball around, get a guy for an open look, and you know whether 
that shot went in. Like there were instances of both surely through the course of that game. A missed three that's a good look is better than a contested shot wherever it is. And there were a few too many of those from him and Dewan in the first game. And they both cleaned that up because you then flip it over to Dewan and he had himself, I think, six of eight from the floor, 12 points, still the three assists. I just think that you look at the combinations, like I said earlier, about who you can have working the offense. It is just so much deeper than it was last year. And that's why you're seeing the offense have so much more success. It is not dependent on any one or two guys. Basically, anyone you can have out there. How many times was Brendan Tucker like the third or the fourth or the fifth scoring option on the floor last year. And that's probably the case this year. And the same with Jermaine Mann. Jermaine Mann took three shots, and he hasn't really been part of the offense like he was last year. But I feel like he, in a smaller offensive role, has carved out a nice little niche. He's pulled up on some threes that were good looks, and he's worked, you know, he worked the, the baseline a couple of times and got either to the foul line or got a made basket. He got an and one. Uh, those two guys were like, two and three behind Dewan last year, and they have faded into the periphery mostly because there's just a lot of guys that can put up shots now, and it, it is benefiting the offense all around. And, you know, to that point specifically, it's not like Tucker or Mann are going to be completely out of the offense unless they, you know, truthfully are not capable of hitting shots like they were last year. I mean, it's going to be a situation where they're going to be pushing for those minutes. They're going to be forcing coach's hand to get them on the feet on the floor, because I agree with you. I thought that both of them and, you know, they played Tucker played 13 minutes, man played nine minutes. I thought that they both at least took good shots. You know, they just didn't fall. But there's just so much shot creation and shot making on the team that you can have guys who are coming off the bench kind of have days like that. You can have man go over two from three, you know, obviously make your free throws. You know, that's probably something that matters more than the lack of hitting a three, but the shots at least looked good from, you know, how I sat and how I saw them. And I mean, it's, there's that's, we're talking about what's, six guards that are capable of both distributing the ball, pushing pace, um, finding ways to dribble drive and kick or finding ways to finish at the rim. And, and I mean, to I, I don't have the Ken Palm in front of me. I'm sure you'll grab it for the midweek, but I love how fast Georgia state has been able to play. And they've, found a way to play fast and push the tempo in a very controlled way that we haven't seen in a, at least a couple of years. Yeah, I'm waiting for it to settle. Now that I had that take on the last one, they dove a bit down this game. They're now 210 in adjusted tempo, uh, which was about 100 places lower than they were last week. And so I'm letting it settle. I think they did start to roll it out a little bit more when they had the lead. Obviously, having a double-digit lead in the second half, it is not in your best interest to continue to push it because you want to limit the number of possessions. And so I think we saw some of that. But yeah, I think controlled, aggressive, all of these are words I would use to describe. And it's a good combination for an offense because I think it's a style that if they're going, 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 is going to be hard for teams to catch up with. It's a lot easier to take teams out of games. You know, as we saw last year, 
Georgia State was able to play a certain style, a low tempo, low scoring. The problem was the other teams they played were either willing to play the same way or could adjust on the fly because they were a more adept, a more um, a team capable of more curveballs and still found a way to win those games. And this year, uh, I think Georgia State's able to mix it up like that. And Georgia State's really able to assert themselves in a way that you know, if a team cannot score and cannot push the tempo and cannot hit their threes, it's going to be hard for them to stay in some of these games. Um, on the offensive stuff, there, there was one possession that I think summed up my like best case scenario for all of the guys they brought in helping Dewan, which was one of the main hypotheses I had with the, the roster shakeup was that whatever it did to his overall numbers, he was going to have a better year because he was going to be helped out by the shooters, by everything else. And there's possession with 1256 in the second half where Lucas took the ball up. He was running the offense and he drove uh, to the left of the key and took two defenders with him. Like this is, he had already at that point scored, I think upwards of 20. Obviously they were aware that they could not leave him, but on the same side of the court, Dewan was posted up in the corner. He dished it off to him and, there was no one protecting the lane. Dewan got the easiest layup he's ever going to get. And so I had thought about it a lot about, well, Dewan's going to have guys to pass out to from three. But in this case, it was a different guy who was driving the lane, who was sucking up so much attention that probably the guy you on the scouting report that you just cannot leave or leave one-on-one and let get a head start would be Dewan. And he didn't have one guy in position to defend him there. And it just felt like that's the type of stuff that's really going to help him max out what he's able to do. Saw it on full display there. I did want to single out one, just kind of college sports and sports in general are hilarious moments. Uh, I don't know how often you're going to see a guy like Leslie and Carolum go 0 for 5 from the floor, but then make 10 of 12 free throws. You'll see a lot of the inverse from big guys in the NBA who are great up at the rim but can't make their free throws worth a damn. It's very rare that you see it happen like this where a guy just cannot make one from the floor, but when he gets to the charity stripe, he's all money. Um, Just a funny little thing that did not make a shot from field goal, from from live play, and he hit double-digit scoring. He got 10 points, all from the free throw line. And part of that was in the second half, too. Like, I know that the second half kind of, you know, you didn't really mention it, but, like, the second half kind of dragged on a little bit. Like, the refs kind of was partially why Georgia State slowed their their pace up. Um, but <laughs> Leslie did all of his damage at the charity stripe in the second half when Western Michigan was fouling and, you know, when they were trying to really focus on getting in the pain and, you know, scoring down low. So, I mean, hey, if if you're going to turn that into being a clutch big man three-point shooter who gets every single point that you have at the line, that's fine. And, yeah, like, I think he among maybe – all of them would want some of those shots back because he was 0 for 5. And I think all of them, or four or five, four of the five maybe, were pretty what you would draw up to get a shot at the rim. And they just didn't fall. You know, Georgia State made just 52.7% of their 
two point field goals, which is why the shooting percentage and the scoring was lower than maybe it could have been. And so I guess always something to work on and just tick that back up because I think the looks were there and just the execution wasn't. And some of that is it's November. And those are the type of stuff that you certainly get better at as you get more reps, you get more action. Uh, The defense was better this game for sure. I mean, obviously they held them to 70 points. Uh, They held Western Michigan to a pretty low shooting percentage as well. Uh, They managed 42%, 35.7% in the first half. Uh, The bigger issues defensively, uh, the three-point percentage again was pretty good for Western Michigan, just like it was to Belmont. Uh, Seven of 18, hair under 39%, and 16 offensive rebounds. And this was something that Coach Hayes talked about after the game as an issue, that they just can't give up that many second chances. Um, The thing that gives me hope that the defense will be all right is it is not for a lack of effort because these guys are flying around there. Tone set by Jaden Turner, Leslie and Carowum, who are just intent on making the other team's life hell, picking up at you know 60 feet, picking up as soon as they cross midcourt, uh, just getting their hands in the way, deflecting stuff. It's also guys like Dewan, and we saw that last year as well, where he just works all the time, always jumping up for a rebound always contesting on defense, you know, all of that stuff. It's feeding down from those top guys. And I think that it, you know, if there's a little bit more uh, attentiveness, a little bit more just connectivity, that's the word that Jonas is going to use a lot, so I might as well use it as well, uh, especially around the perimeter. I think that it could be a real positive as well. Like, I think it's going to be the lagging side of the ball, but – it's not from you're worried about guys not giving it 100%. And that matters. I think you can teach the effort. Um, I think you can really teach the this, uh, mental aspect of that. You know, guys matching that effort with the, okay, be in this position. This is this look. You know, that's what film is. That's what practice is. Um so it's it's good on them that they play with that level of speed and that level of effort and that that care. A lot of defense, truthfully, is, like these guys are athletes. You know, a lot of defense, truthfully, is just how much do you want to do it? How much do you care? You know, and diving on the floor and getting in front of guys, taking charges, you know, being able to be in the position and switching, rotating, you know, going through how the screens, how you're taught to go through them, depending on the look. A lot of that is just, hey, let's try to do this and, you know, let's to have, match the effort to what we want and how we want to win these games. And um, Belmont actually got blitzed by Furman and lost by a hefty amount and shot very poorly from three in that game. But Furman's also a top 100 team. In their other game, Western Michigan shot 12 of 29 from three against North Dakota State in their opener. And so I'm letting the three-point thing settle a little bit because it's possible that they faced two good three-point shooting teams, and that is a part of the equation of why those numbers are a little high. I'm letting that go through maybe the rest of the month before I'm looking at that as like blaring red alarm bells because, you know, right now they are giving up in the bottom 50, 39.5% from three. 
Obviously, if that sustains, that is going to be a problem, and that's going to be a way teams are going to stick around and even put away some games, get on the front foot in some games. The shooting percentages they're allowing are a little too high, but got to let it settle, and we'll see where it goes from there. Fouling a little too much, too, maybe, for being honest, but I think it is also, you talking about the effort, talking about the fouling, and they were mentioning this on the uh, ESPN Plus broadcast for this game, that Jonas wasn't really upset when they were getting some fouls out beyond the perimeter. It certainly contributed to the, I think Western Michigan got into the bonus like 13 minutes on the clock in the second half. Some of that was those effort plays turning into foul plays far from the hoop. But you also saw some of the turnovers forced because those were the kind of actions they were going for on defense. And what it also is, is, you had some guys in foul trouble. You know, Ricky Bradley fouled out. He has been in foul trouble both of the games, so maybe something to work on. Uh, Jaden Turner ended up with... No, he had two. Sorry. Uh, Edna Moko had four again. Jermaine Mann had four. Uh, Leslie had three. Dewan had three. Julian Mackey had three. A lot of fouls, but only one guy fouled out. And I think because, especially with the number of guards you have, there's not a moment where you're going to be like, oh, we don't have enough guys to go out there. Like You'd feel good about the core of who you can send out, even if you have two guys in the guard rotation that you're worried about with foul trouble. And so if you're going to have a guy go out there trying to make that extra play and he's going to risk a foul, obviously you want to keep that stuff clean. You don't want to live and die with that many fouls per game. But I think it is part of the philosophy for this team that – they're going to go all out for some of these plays because they know even if they do get a foul on that play or if one guy gets it a little bit in foul trouble, in the backcourt, that shouldn't be a detriment. A little bit more of a worry as long as DK stays out because in the front court you've really got a core of three guys that you're leaning on for a majority of those minutes. But I think it makes a ton of sense with the number of guys they're rolling out there for the backcourt because – run into a little bit of trouble with a couple of guys, you should still be okay. It shouldn't be a determining factor in the game. <laughs> and last year clearly would have been a big deal if half of your rotation of overall players and if you had three guys in foul trouble, that was half of the guys they were playing by the time we rolled into February and March. And so another way in which this team is just different from last year. And that's all we have for you on this week's post-game pod. Uh, we, of course, will be back with our regular podcast this week on Friday morning uh, while Brady and I head down to Baton Rouge for football at LSU. But we'll talk about all that on Friday. See you then and have a good week. Go Panthers.